0: If you have your Bibles, turn to Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three. We're going to read the remainder of chapter three, verses ten through seventeen, and down through chapter four, verse five. So, Second Timothy three ten to Second Timothy 4, verse 5. <clears throat> we read, beginning in verse 10, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hath been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them." And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, Repu- reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist make full proof of thy ministry. So let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, before we get into this text today. Father, we thank you for your word. As we uh, look at that doctrine this morning that we believe uh, your word is true, is inerrant and sufficient, and it is uh, the preserved, breathed word of God uh, that we have available to us Uh, that we might study and know more about you and know how that we're to live our lives. We thank you that you've preserved it through the years, uh, that you've protected it, uh, and that you uh, teach us through your word. We ask that you would open it to us today. We know that uh, it takes your Holy Spirit for us to understand the things of God, uh, both uh, in the delivery of your word and in the receiving of your word. So we ask for your Holy Spirit this morning as we look into your word. Uh, Go with us now through the rest of this service, and may you gain glory from all that is said and done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just a very, very quick review because we have a lot to cover this morning. So just by way of context, we're breaking in into the middle of the context of 2 Timothy 3. If you remember the last time we looked at the first nine verses of that chapter, we talked about the battleground. And we went through that extremely tedious, long list of all of those things that uh, Paul says um, that people should be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, all of those things, without natural affection, um, traitors, having a form of godliness but denying the power of it, all of those things. And we unpacked that and looked at what each one of those was. And we said that's the battleground in which we will live our Christian life. These things are real. There are things that we're going to face, and and that's the battleground in the context of our life and ministry here in the world. And then we talked about the tactics of the enemy a little bit, how that, um, you remember it said that there were uh, they which were creeping into houses to lead captive uh, women, and and that they were dividing and conquering. So the tactics of the enemy and how they were getting into uh, the believers and and how they were turning some from the faith. And then last, the good news was there was an ultimate victory, that Christ will build his church, that Christ made uh, the sure foundation, and the church will not perish, and the false prophets will not prevail. That's where we ended last time. But they shall proceed no further, verse 9, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs also was. So there is an ultimate victory. And so we're picking up here in verse 10, uh, this continued teaching of Paul to Timothy and then through that to us. So we're going to look at three big points today. I'm going to go ahead and give you those on the front end, and then we'll, we'll go through each one. The first one is pastors, parents, and professors. Pastors, parents, and professors. Number two. And that's, that's, verse, that's chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Second is profitable to perfect. Profitable to perfect. And we'll un- unpack these later. That's verses 15 through 17. And then the last one is preach with perseverance. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Preach with perseverance. So... As we begin this, I'm going to borrow a statement that I heard this week, and I'm going to try not to do that through this whole message, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you that's going to be difficult. Have you ever been to a church meeting and then you come home and you've got all of these things going through your head that you heard at a church meeting? Well, you multiply that by about 10, and that's where I'm at this morning. I went to a conference this week and heard preaching for three days straight from about 8 in the morning until about 10 o'clock at night, so uh, a lot of information all at one time. But I do want to borrow this. I thought it was so good. There was a pastor from Africa there. His name was Christian Lawanda. and And this was a quote from him. And it really summarizes a lot of what we want to look at today. This is what he said. God uses the word of God empowered and illuminated by the spirit of God through the man of God to build up the church of God for the glory of God. Now, that's an amazing thing if you unpack that. I'm going to say it one more time. God uses the Word of God, illuminated by the Spirit of God, through the man of God, to build up the church of God for the glory of God. So what we're doing here today, that's a great summary of what we're here to do today, is that we're here to open the Word of God. We're praying that the Spirit of God will open that text to us today, uh, that... He might come through his man. If, if we're here to hear what I've got to say today, it would not be very profitable. But if God speaks through me, through his word, then that will build up the church. And then through the building up of the church, God ultimately gets the glory. That's a great summary of everything that we're going to look at today. So our first point was pastors, parents, and professors. And you're probably saying, how in the world did you get that? Out of this text, well let's let's start with this. We know here that this is a letter from Paul to Timothy, so Paul is, is kind of training Timothy and, and giving him some last words uh, of how he should carry out his ministry. So the pastor's part probably easily makes sense, because this is Paul talking to Timothy. Uh, it also says in verse 15 that from a child, Timothy has known the Holy Scriptures. I think that tells us parents are involved here. You remember the very first of the book? That Paul talked about, how that hey Timothy, you remember that you were taught by your mother and your grandmother. So there's a role there as well. And then also, uh, in in verse let's see, in verse twelve, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So we're going to see examples among all those who profess to be believers in Jesus Christ. If if it's a true profession, then we're going to see these examples in their lives as well and they're also going to be those who we're looking to for an example uh, to follow so parents professors and pastors I didn't do that in the right order but uh, so the first thing that he says here let's go up and look in verse 10 but thou hast fully known my doctrine manner of life purpose faith long-suffering charity patience persecutions and afflictions so he says there's some things that you know about me so point number one Pastors, parents, and professors, first thing under that is you need to just write the word know. There's some things that we need to know about those who teach us, whether that's our pastors, whether that's our parents, whether that's um, those who profess to believe and, and are just brothers and sisters with us in the faith. Paul tells Timothy that there's some things that he has fully known about the apostle himself. So we should also follow this example and know some things about those that teach us whether it be our pastors or, or others. Paul is the subject here, but this applies really to any spiritual leader, parents, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, or Christians, like we said in verse 12. So he has all these sub-things. He says, these are some things that I want you to know about me. And that, and he's saying that Timothy does know these things about Paul. The first one is doctrine. Now, I, 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 this is hard for us as Uh, primitive Baptist as Calvinist. When you hear the word doctrine, I promise you probably in your mind, if you were raised primitive Baptist, when you hear the word doctrine, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? It's probably tulip. It's probably a flower. And that's really not what he's talking about here. When he says doctrine, he just means teaching. That's teaching. It's instruction. So he says one thing that you need to know about those is their teaching. What have they taught? What have they said? What have they tried to instruct. So listen to their instruction and the things that they teach. Now that sounds very simple, but here's the problem with that. And all you young people will agree with me on this one point. You may not agree with everything I say today, but you're going to agree with me on this one point. When adults start talking, have you ever seen Charlie Brown, the cartoon? In Charlie Brown, did you ever hear an adult talk? Nope. You know what, they, when the adults are talking, what did it sound like? Wah, 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 right? So many times, that's what happens when adults talk and children are supposed to be listening. So it sounds simple to say, know their instruction, know what it is that they teach. But so many times we tune those things out. We don't really pay attention to what it is that they teach. So we need to listen to their instruction and the things that they teach. Secondly, he says, manner of life. So their manner of life and purpose. I'm going to put those two together. How do they order their life? So, when you look at these men and women in your life, how, so young children, how do your parents order their life? Do they bring you to church? Is church important to them? Do they attend church? Look at your pastors. How do they order their life? How do they, what's important to them? What is the purpose of their lives? What are the things that are most important to them? You need to take note of those things. Uh, for all of us, uh, any, anyone who we're looking to as an example, <coughs> we need to observe their manner of life, how that they live. That's their. It's called conversation in other places in Scripture, but it really just means how that they live their life. Their faith. What do they believe and trust in? What are the things that they say that they believe? What are the things that they trust? Uh, and you can see that through even their manner of life. Their charity. What do they love, and how do they show that love? You know, that's a, that's a toe-stepping one because you know how we mostly show what we love? With our time and our money and our effort, <laughs> those three things. So whatever the majority of your time and your money and your effort goes to, those are the things that you really love. So charity, um, we look at then what is it that they love. Well, look at Paul's life. What do you think Paul's manner of life was? Uh, Just think about what he's been through. Just think about what he's already told us in 2 Timothy. He clearly loved the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He spent all of his effort going to spread the gospel. He was persecuted for it. Uh, Things were taken from Paul for that. So clearly he also loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And his trust and faith was in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he is a, a good positive example for Timothy. And we're going to get back to that in a minute, but hopefully we can say that of others besides just the Apostle Paul. The last one is long-suffering and patience and endurance through persecutions and afflictions. Have you seen people that are willing to go through negative things in their life and, and come out on the other side? And have you seen God be faithful to them in that? Because... That's the testimony of Paul here. He says, you've seen, you've known my persecutions, my afflictions. And He gives some specific examples in these particular places. You know that, Timothy. You saw the persecutions I endured, but you also saw that out of them all the Lord delivered me. So that is a great thing for us to witness, and we need to pay attention to those things, and we need to rejoice with those who we see God deliver out of trials and tribulations and persecutions. So that's the example of, For us Now let's turn to Hebrews 13 quickly. Hebrews 13 and verse 7. It says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. There's not a better verse in the Bible to pair with what we just read. What he's saying is you need to look at their manner of life, and as they follow Christ, you follow them. Now, it's, it's dangerous because what we cannot do is be followers of men, just followers of men, without under, and we're going to get to that, so, so hold on to that. Um, but as they follow Christ, we're to follow them. We're to observe. We're to know. Uh, and, and in that text in Hebrews, remember. It says, remember them who have spoken to you, considering the end of their conversation. So you see how things work out in the end you see the result of the way that they live their life and then you mimic that in your life as they follow christ you follow them so he says first there's some things you should know secondly he says you should continue in what you learned from them so we're down to verse 14 I kind of skipped over verse 13, and I don't want to 100%, but you've heard me say this so many times lately because we're studying in Timothy together. But it says in verse 13, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. I don't think I really need to unpack that for you. Is the world better off today? Is the world more Christian today? Or has Satan given up and decided he's not going to try anything anymore? No. He is attacking, attacking, attacking and those things do get worse and worse. If we'd ever thought in a million years that we would have the controversies that we have today in our culture, that we can't even say the gender of a human being because you're not a biologist, or that you can't talk about homosexuality as a sin without being called a bigot, or you can't talk about other truths, just whatever, you name it, uh, that, that we, would, we would probably have not thought that that would be possible 50 years ago. But yet that's where we are. So, yes, uh, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Then in verse 14, he says, But continue thou in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So continue in what you learned from them. Uh, Hebrews thirteen seven. 7, uh, go back to that same, same text. You need to remember those things, but also look down in verse 9 of that same text It says, Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. This is in Hebrew 13, verse 9. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Be not carried about with all this other stuff. Continue in what you've been taught. Don't always be hunting some new thing to attach yourself to. Be steadfast in that which you have been taught by those who you have observed their life. So there's some qualification there. You've observed their life. You've seen the end of their conversation. You've seen God deliver them. You've seen God work in their life. You've seen that they have faith in Christ. You've seen that they love the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow that. Follow, continue in those things that you've learned of those people. So some of us in this room are adults. Some are still children. Uh, Some are members of the church. Some are not. Some in here are older and more experienced Christians. And some are new to the faith. Um, we must not all we must all strive not only to observe but also to follow after and continue in the things that we have learned uh, from those who God has placed in our life and I do think this is primarily speaking about men of God, the ministry. it is primarily that message uh, I do think it also applies to parents and some others but but I think it 's primarily talking about the ministry that God has given the church. You should continue in those things that you've been taught from the Word of God. So let's go back to our statement. We said in the very beginning that God is going to use the Word of God through the man of God, which is empowered by this, all of that's empowered by the Spirit of God, to build the church of God or grow the church of God for the glory of God. All of those pieces are key. So if Brother Nathan and I just come up here and tell you our opinion, that's not what we're telling you to follow. We're telling you to follow those things you have learned from the word of God through the man of God. And and the Apostle Paul is going to make that very clear in our next point. But I don't even want to say this without at least mentioning that. That's what we're talking about. Not just what we tell you to do because it's our opinion. But the word of God that you've heard through the man of God, follow that, continue in that. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom Thou hast learned them. So this is basically what he's saying here is live the unwasted life. For those of you young people, because of COVID and busy schedules and all that, we got about halfway through that book and and we couldn't get back together. But you remember in the first few chapters of that book, what was the point of that book? That there's there's really two ways that you're going to live your life. You're going to live a wasted life or you're going to live an unwasted life. And if you continue in the things that you've been taught from the Word of God, that's the unwasted life, a life that matters and a life without regrets. So some, some of you in this room are either in college or about to go off to college, and the message to you is continue in the things that you've learned. Don't be carried away with other strange philosophies of the world. You're going to be hit right in the face with philosophies of the world. Uh, it's... Probably the biggest breeding ground of that in our culture is in the university system and in the colleges. So continue thou in the things that you've learned. Don't be carried away with those things. Don't be pulled away from the truth that you've heard, knowing of whom you have learned them. We have some young couples about to have families of your own. Continue in the things that you've learned and begin to think about that you're going to have to share those things with your children. Remember, he said uh, Timothy had known these things from a child. So think about that as you approach having your own family. We have people here who have young families. You have young children. Continue in the things that you've learned and pass those on to your children. Uh, make sure that your family uh, understands those things that you have learned. And and we have some that are older and more experienced in here in the Christian life than even the pastors that God's placed here. Isn't that a unique thing? There's people who have been down the road a lot farther than the people who get up into this pulpit and preach from the Word of God. And yet we all understand that it's the Word of God that is the truth. And so continue in the things that you have learned as well. Finish strong. Uh, Continue to believe those things. Have perseverance in it. Continue to, to learn and to grow even in older age and continue in the things which you have already learned. Now, real quickly before I go on, there's a counter lesson to this as well. And I just mentioned it to our young parents. But the counter lesson to this is we need to be good examples. And I think that's implied here in the text. Paul is able to tell Timothy, you know me. You know what I've taught. You know my manner of life. You know my faith. You know my love. You know all of those things. So follow after those things. Isn't that a great way to be able to talk to a younger person in the faith? To be able to say, follow my example. So the, the counter lesson here is that we need to be good examples. And we, if we're in a position of leadership or authority, we need to understand that other eyes are watching and that they're learning. They're not just learning from what we say. They're also learning from what we do, what our actions are. They're going to see our manner of life. And that is going to be probably the greatest teacher uh, that they have, not just what we say so, so, there's a the kind of a counter lesson there. now, back to continuing and what you learn from them. there's a phrase that's really extremely important there in verse fourteen that I want to go back and unpack a little bit. This verse ties together everything that we're going to talk about today, pretty much, uh, and it says um, "And hast been assured of knowing of whom thou hast learned them." So that little phrase right in the middle. So he says, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. So the first part of this phrase points us backwards to verses 15 through 17. And the last part uh, the last part ties us back to the beginning of this section about Scripture and knowing of whom we have learned them. So it's tying this whole passage of Scripture together. So, in other words, if I get up here and preach, what you need to be assured of is that it is the word of God. Not just what I said. Don't just follow blindly a man. Don't be men followers. And that happens. It does happen. And it happens in this way. Usually, it's not, it's not horrible. It's not intentional even many times. It's that we begin to respect uh, a particular man of God, or a particular preacher, or a particular pastor, or, or just a particular leader in our life, and so then we just kind of begin to just everything that they say, we just take it as as absolute truth. Well, guess what? That's a fallible man. So when he says here in verse fourteen, "But continue on the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of," that's a key phrase because he says you need to be assured of these things. How do you get assured of these things? The rest of the chapter, that's tying us down to verses 15 through 17, which we're about to cover. The way that we're sure of it is that we make sure it's the word of God, that it is not just man's opinion. So should we just take their word for it? Should we blindly follow men? The answer is no. We should be assured of these things, and the way that we're assured of them is by studying the word of God. So that brings us to our second, our second point, profitable to perfect. Profitable to perfect. To perfect. Now just from that title, I'm going to go ahead and get this out of the way. Is Brother Andy saying that the Bible can make us perfect? That we can get to a place where we don't have any sin? That's not what that word means, okay? In this context, now that's how we use that word in today's language. But the way that's used in the Bible here is to be complete, to be equipped, to be ready for those things that God would bring into our life. So profitable means that it's good for you. So what this is basically saying our title profitable to perfect is that the Bible is good for us to equip us and complete us in being the Christians that we should be. So how are to we be how are we to be assured of the things that we've learned from our pastors and our parents and other professing Christians? We have the divinely inspired word of God that we can trust 100% as a source of of all truth as thus saith the lord so when you come here on sunday mornings and you're taking your notes i hope that sometimes you go home and say you know brother nathan or brother andy or brother jeff they said this i'm going to go back and look at that i'm going to i'm going to unpack that a little bit i'm going to go back to that scripture i want to read that again and see what i think about it as compared to the scripture or i want to look at that topic in other places in scripture and i want to i want to kind of unpack that a little bit i hope you do that I, I, I would trust that you would do that, and I would love for you to sometime come up to me and say i 've got a question about that uh, it wouldn 't offend me at all uh, it would in fact it would thrill me to know that you are concerned and that you're studying the scriptures to see if these things be so, like the noble Bereans. The Bible is the final word and the source of absolute truth on any and all matters of life and faith, and we can be assured of the truth of its teaching and the truth of any teaching if it agrees with the Word of God. Now, a couple of subpoints under this. Let's kind of unpack what he says. Let's read verses 15 through 17. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. So the first thing he says to Timothy is, Timothy, I want you to remember something. I'm telling you to continue in the things that you've learned. That's what I'm telling you, Timothy. I'm telling you to look at my life. Paul is speaking to Timothy and say, Look at my life. Look at what I've taught. Remember those things. Continue in the things that you've heard of me, the Apostle Paul. But there's something really important that you need to remember. You've known the Holy Scriptures from a child. That's a great advantage to you, Timothy, because you need to compare what you hear from me and what you see in my life to the Scriptures that you've been taught since you were a child. So when is the proper time to start teaching our children the Bible? There's a real simple answer to that. Now, right now, when they're a baby, sing to them. They'll remember it. I promise you, they'll remember it. They'll remember those things. Read them the word of God. Read them key verses of the Bible. Begin to uh, catechize them in the things of the word of God. So the answer is now. That's the time to start teaching your children the Bible. Does that mean that you can give your children spiritual life, that you can born them again because you're going to do everything right and you're going to raise them up and then it's just going to happen? No, absolutely not. But what it can do is prepare them that when God does touch their heart, they have a wealth of knowledge of the scriptures and of things that can then benefit their Christian life when God calls them to faith. And so we pray for God to change their heart, and yet we prepare as though he will and that we trust that he will. So, of course, fathers take the lead in this. Teach your families the word. But mothers and grandmothers, you have a great example here in this very text that um, as a mother you're going to be a teacher of your children it's just a natural way of the home you're going to be a teacher of your children so teach your children the scriptures and fathers take the lead in that as well make sure that you're connected to that in your home secondly it says that he says from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures and then he says this which are able to make the wise unto salvation so what is the chief subject of all the scriptures what is, the, what is the chief in? And I'm not just talking about the New Testament, so I guess we should clarify that. What is the Bible? What is the Word of God? So it actually says that um, in the 1689 London Confession of Faith, just to be crystal clear, not only do they say it's the scriptures of the Old and the New Testament, because that's the answer. It's the scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testament, but they list all the books by name so that there's no confusion. Because there are some things called the Apocrypha, and there's other writings that are ancient writings, but they're not included in the canon of Scripture. So when we say the Word of God, we're talking about the Scriptures of the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's the Bible, that is the Word of God. But in all of that, even going all the way back to Genesis, what is the primary subject of the Bible? The primary subject of the Bible is Jesus Christ, it's the gospel. Even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament points towards Christ, his coming, the need for his coming, the history of redemption. And then the New Testament tells us the good news of the coming of Jesus Christ and his substitutionary atonement for his elect people. So the the key subject of all the Bible is Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, we find those scriptures pointing forward. The New Testament, looking back, at his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his burial and resurrection and the accounts of all that he taught. Would you remember John said we've got a taste of that. He said if, if everything that Christ said had been written down in a books, the, the world couldn't contain the books that should have been written. But we have everything that we need in the scriptures that is sufficient. We believe that there's nothing that's left out uh, that we should have had and, and do not have. So I want to turn to 2 Corinthians for just a second. When we talk about this as as being Jesus being the key subject of all the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 20 and 21. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. Now, you want a summary of the gospel? Look at verse 21. This is a summary of the good news of the gospel. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. What that says, God treated Christ as a sinner, even though he was not a sinner, that he might treat me as righteous, even though I'm not righteous. So... Christ, even on the cross, even when he bore our sin, never became a sinner. Christ was perfect. He never sinned. But he became, Christ was made sin for us. It was imputed to him. And yet, his righteousness then is imputed to us. That is really the simple message of the gospel. That I'm a sinner, unworthy of the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and yet... I'm made righteous through his sacrifice. He's made sin for me. I'm made righteous for him. So that is the chief message of all the scriptures, is that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ, and it is through the giving of spiritual life to a dead sinner and the illumination of his word to the sinner through the testimony of his word. Now, I would love to take a long sidetrack here and just really dive into that that's my everybody here knows it's not a secret that's my favorite subject i love the 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 concept of the application of redemption but what that simply is is this what we believe about that is that you can study we're, we're exalting the word of god this morning we're saying we're looking at second timothy chapter 3 verses 15 through 17 and we're saying the word of god the word of god it's perfect it's All of these adjectives that we're using. And yet, if you're a dead sinner, this is going to do you no good whatsoever. You're not going to understand it. You're not going to come to God. You're not going to come to Christ. You're not going to understand the gospel until God gives you spiritual life. Then God uses that word to then convert you to the truth, to repentance, and to faith. So that is the area in which the word of God works. And I want to be very clear about that. As we exalt the word of God, we also have to be clear that we don't believe that it is the word of God that gives us spiritual life, that gives us that um, faith and repentance. It is not the power in the word; it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit uses the word to convert and to give us faith and repentance. So let's let's keep that in its proper context. But let's let's also say, do you think that's important? that we understand who Jesus Christ is and that we understand that we're a sinner. Well, where do we know those things? We know those things because that's what the the word of the Bible teaches us. It is the Bible, the scriptures that teach us uh, those truths about ourselves and about who God is. It reveals to us our sin and it reveals to us a holy God and then it reveals to us how we're reconciled. Those things, you know... That really, once again, that's the simplicity of the gospel. We are sinners, and we serve a holy God. For us to have fellowship with him, there has to be a reconciliation to take place because God cannot be in the presence of sin. So for me to have fellowship with God, Jesus Christ had to take my sin from me and give me his righteousness for me to have restored fellowship with God. That reconciliation that takes place is the message of the scriptures. So I don't want to belabor this, but I do want to read this to you real quick. This is from the 1689 London Confession of Faith about what we believe about the Scriptures. It says this, "The The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable... Yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and his will which is necessary unto salvation. So I'm going to stop there. This is what that means. If you walk outside and you see creation, if you live in this earth, you are without excuse that there is a God. Romans teaches us that. So you cannot say, well, nobody ever told me. Okay? Paul says that's not an excuse. Even creation itself reveals that there is a God. However... Creation itself does not reveal to you everything that we just talked about, that man is a sinner, that all of of these truths that we understand about who God is and how that we were reconciled to God, that comes through the word of God, not through creation. So you can't go out and sit on a rock on the side of a mountain and find God in a saving way. Somebody must teach you from the word of God who God is and who you are and how those two things come together. So that's really what they're saying here is that the only, the only sufficient, certain, infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience is in this book. It's in the Holy Scriptures, and, and that's a very important thing for us to understand. Now, I'm going to spare you reading the whole rest of that paragraph, but we do need to understand that the authority of the Holy Scriptures um, is our final authority. So if there's a question... The final authority on all things is the word of God, not my opinion, not tradition, not what people have done in history. All of those things are good to look at. They're important. Um, I think they need to be considered. But if it comes down to a question of whether to do something or not do it, and in the history maybe they've done it and some haven't, the word of God is the final authority. And it's the only thing that we can stand on and, and make absolute declarations from is the word of God itself. That's extremely important for us to hold the truth for, for subsequent generations. It's why it's so important for us to always be tied to the Word of God and those things that we say we most surely believe. Now uh, Romans 15 4, let's turn there. I got a couple of verses to reinforce that and then we'll move into our third and final third and final point this morning. Romans 15 verse 4 For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we might, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, that we, through patience and and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So these things were preserved for us for our learning. Now, talking about stepping on some toes at the conference I was at this week. Somebody said, compare your screen time to your Bible time on your phone. You want to step on your toes a little bit? Compare your screen time... Or just divide it out. Let's be fair here. Let's say compare your social media screen time to your Bible time per day. What's the percentage? You know, how much are you spending on your phone on your Bible app as compared to, you know, I mean, it, there was a lot of uncomfortable people in that room when that pastor said that. And that, this was a room full of mostly pastors. <laughs> so uh, that will that's, step on your toes a little bit. You know, this book was written for our learning. How do you learn? You know, when I was in school, I really wished that you could just go to sleep on the book and it just kind of comes in there or, or in those movies where they download things into their brain. You know, I wish we had that. I, I do. I mean, but we don't. So the way that you're going to learn the Word of God is you're going to read it and you're going to study it and you're going to go back to it over and over and over again. And this is what I can promise you. You can begin right now, the youngest person in this room can begin right now to study the Bible in earnest and you'll never run out of things to study. You'll never run out of new knowledge. You'll never get to a place where you can say, okay, I'm done, I can stop now. Men have spent their entire lives poring over this book all their waking hours and have never exhausted the riches that are found in the word of God. So do that. It says very plainly here, it's written for our learning so we should learn from it. And then 2 Peter, let's turn there. 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. For we also have we also a for we have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. You know, this is really important. It's really difficult, what I'm about to say. You don't get to determine what the Bible says. Did you know that? The Bible speaks and we bend our will to what the Bible says. And this really comes in, so when you study the Bible, this is what I want to talk about. Hopefully, when Brother Nathan and I and Brother Jeff and others who come and preach here, hopefully, when we study, what we're trying to do is exegete the scriptures. So, what that means is we're to take the word itself and pull the truth out of it. Exegete. There's another way you can do it, isogee, which is I take what I believe. And then I go to the Word, try to find some evidence and some, some backup for that. And, and believe me, you can do some weird things with that. I had a pastor come when I was at Northeast. Um, over there we had a Bible study, and this, this pastor came, and, and he did it on purpose. He kind of started with this crazy premise. I mean, it was crazy. And he went all over the Old Testament cherry-picking some scriptures here and there to prove his point. And honestly, if you just took it at face value... It kind of made sense, you know. Of course, it was completely out of context and all that kind of stuff. So we don't we don't come to our conclusions and then go try to hunt down the truth in the Word of God. What we do is we unpack the Word of God and say that is the truth. Um, so that the the Scriptures have no private interpretation. Uh, we don't get to say what we think the Bible means. It means something absolute. Uh, the Bible is not fluid. The Bible is absolute truth. It does not change. It does not. Um, you know, there are those that, that view that, well, we're just, we've come so far since the Bible was written. Really? I don't think we have, number one. Uh, but but no, we have not come so far since the Bible was written. The Bible is absolute truth. It will never change. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever because it is the word of God. God does not change. And because God does not change, his word does not change. So now on to our last, the last part of our text in in Second Timothy, and I probably should have stopped here. Uh, just being honest and planning a sermon, there's a lot that we're trying to cover this morning, and I understand that. But I think it ties so closely that we would probably be making a mistake to try to separate these things out. So in chapter four, and and also by the way, you do know that the chapters and the verses they were placed there by men later on. This is a letter that was written to Timothy, so don't ever think that well. You know, we're going across a chapter line here. This is a totally different thing. It's not. Um, So as soon as he says to Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. He says then, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So I want to pause there. So our last point is preach with perseverance. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. This is a charge to Timothy and to all pastors and ministers that will come after Timothy and after the Apostle Paul. And it's a charge. He says, I charge thee therefore. So we have the infallible, inerrant, complete, sufficient word of God. Now what should we do? (laughs) I love it. Um, One of the pastors at the conference, he said... You know, we have it, so what do we do with it? And then he just yelled really loud, preach it. That's what we do, we preach. But we preach it, we preach the Word. So that's what we do. But Paul begins, before he gets to that in verse 2, where he says preach the Word, he begins with a solemn reminder that before God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, we, the ministry, will give an account. Before the judge of all the universe... Paul says, I'm I'm making this charge to you before the judge of all the universe, before God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give you this charge, ministry. Hebrews 13, 17, remember? It says, remember them that have the rule over you, all of that. And it says, as those that will give an account. So we're going to be accountable for how we handle this word of God, this truth of God. So if we intentionally bend the word of God to our will, we will be held accountable for that. So Paul begins with a solemn reminder that the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus Christ himself will judge all things and we will give an account before him. So then he goes on in verse 2, Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. So we have the infallible, inerrant, complete, sufficient word of God. Now what do we do? We preach it. That word preach, Russo. In the Greek. Cade Russo, I know you were dying to hear that. That, you know, all the Greek scholars in this room. But it's important for this reason. This is what it means. It means to herald good news. Or to publish a message. So to herald. Now when I say the word herald, do we use that a lot anymore? Do we have a town herald? You know, is that how you get your news? I kind of wish it was. (laughs) It would be better than the news that we have right now, to be honest. But the herald in the old days... The king lived up in the palace and all the people, you know, they lived down in the city. And so the herald would come out of the palace and he would go down into the city and he would tell the message of the king. A herald did not come down to the town square to give his own message. And even if he had done that, no one would have paid any attention because he was just the herald. He wasn't the king. He wasn't a prince. He wasn't in the king's family. He wasn't even noble. He was usually someone of common birth. So the herald didn't come down into the town square to give his own message. He came to give the message of the king. So when Brother Nathan or Brother Jeff or or I, when we study the word of God, it's as though we're visiting the palace and we're getting the word of the king. And then we come here and we stand before you to deliver the very message of the king when we do it the way that we should do it, when we do it right. So we are delivering a message that's not our message. You know, people will say, I enjoyed your sermon. Well, I understand what you mean by that, so I don't correct it and say, well, it wasn't my message, it was the word of God. I understand what you mean by that. But in reality, let's all understand that it's not my message, and it better not be my message. It's the message of the king that I as a herald then deliver to God's people. So what does this look like in practice? And he tells us that he says, "Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine." So we'll unpack that just a little bit. Be instant, in season, out of season. What does that mean? That means that when it's a good thing, when it's when it's um, when it seems to be the right time, when it doesn't seem to be the right time. <laughs> In any situation that you find yourself, preach the Word. Um, there are times when it's been very inconvenient to me to preach the message that God put on my heart. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's been times where I showed up to preach somewhere, had no idea that people were going to be there. I knew things that were going on in their life, and I knew. I was sitting on the pew saying, they're going to think that I'm doing this on purpose, <laughs> just to preach this directly. Didn't know they were going to be there. They weren't even members of that church, and yet God had put that message on my heart. They're sitting there, so you've got to be faithful. You got to preach in season, out of season. Be faithful to that. Next, it says reprove and rebuke. Now, that's tough. That means to convict, to correct, to bring error into the light. That is, that is the hard part of preaching because guess who it happens to all the time when we preach? Brother Nathan will, will, will amen me on this. People think that the preachers are always preaching and convicting the, the people in the pew. Most of the time it's convicting me, as much or more than anybody in the pew. So to reprove and rebuke means to convict, to correct, to bring error into the light. And that's also a very important part of pulpit ministry, is to teach the truth and to rebu- rebuke error, to make sure that error is brought into the light. It also says to exhort. That means to encourage or to come alongside one, to draw to one side. So to encourage those in the faith. Long-suffering, which means patience, constancy, steadfastness. And I like this. The long-suffering also has the idea of being systemic, that we systemically teach the Word of God. So here, as we're doing right now, we're going through the book of 2 Timothy. You're getting systematic teaching in the Word of God. Doctrine, which we've already talked about. That's just teaching and learning. That is a key aspect of preaching. You should be learning the Word of God through the pulpit ministry in your church and through corporate worship. You should be growing in your knowledge of Scripture and your knowledge of the Bible through the preaching that you hear on Sunday mornings. So that's how you unpack it. That's what it looks like in practice. Now, now thirdly, in this subpoint, uh, turning from the truth in verses 3 and 4. It says that as we preach the word, as we're instant in season, out of season, as we do all of these things, it says there's going to come a time when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So when is that time? Has that time come? Well, he was preparing Timothy for it. So what do you think? That time is here. That time is now. There are people who right now are desiring to hear something pleasant on Sunday morning, to tickle their ears. The word fables means myths or falsehoods or inventions of men. You think that that's going on in pulpits in America today? Absolutely it is. So this is why it's important that we preach the word and only the word and why you must also study the word to be assured of the things that we teach. And then lastly, in our in our last verse, he says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Watch, endure work, and prove. Watch, be sober. It has the idea of sobriety, of a calm temperament, circumspect, not reactive. You know it's amazing how many times there's a temptation for us to be reactive to things that happen in the culture or even among our own churches. And then what 90% of the time happens there is we overreact and we end up in another error of some other kind because we overreact to the things that happen. Rather than being reactive, we need to just continue to teach the truth and, and just continue to labor in that, to watch, be calm, be sober, to watch in those things and continue to teach the truth. Endure, be willing to endure hardships and persecutions for the gospel's sake. And work, labor in the word and in the heralding of the message. Dig out the message and proclaim it faithfully. And he says all of these things will be the proof of the calling of your ministry. If you want to know if a man's called by God or not, does he teach the word of God? Does God bless him to dig those truths out and and successfully bring them to the congregation? That that really is um, some of the bottom line. There's a lot more to the ministry than just preaching. But in the preaching aspect of it, that's it. We're to take the word of God, we're to deliver it to the people of God. We're to herald the message of the king to the people of God. I know that's a lot to cover in, in one time. We're gonna, we'll come back to the first part of chapter 4 again as we move forward in chapter 4 and kind of review those things again. But I hope those things have been a blessing to you. What a blessing it is that we have the word of God and that men, men have been called to preach that word of God to us, to teach us, May we ever stick closely to that Word of God in our lives and in our practice. Let's let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that uh, we can trust in it. We thank you that you have called men to study your Word, to bring us messages from your Word that we might know more about you and how you would have us to live in this life. Uh, we pray that as we do that, that you would... Uh, lead us into all truth you would deliver us from error deliver us from those things that would pull us aside from uh, the way which you would have us to go Uh, we ask that you would apply the word of God to our lives uh, in where in those areas in which we're weak uh, that you would identify those things to us through your word and that you would have us return to your way thank you for this time again this morning and thank you for your son Jesus Christ in his name we pray amen